Hello, welcome back to the Paid in Full podcast. We are here on episode seven today. Mia on the mic with my very handsome husband, JP. Do you want to greet the people? Good morning. Good morning, afternoon, evening, night, wherever you may be in the world. All of the above. There you go. So, how you feeling? How's it going? I'm in between. In between? <laughs> what's going? What's been going on with you? I'm in between because I'm doing six days now. Mm-hmm. So You're it's d- like I don't, I don't know when I am right now. I don't know when I am. Yeah, I said yes. that right. Yes. So I'm just kind of just going. So mm-hmm. I did have an off day yesterday. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Phone isn't ringing as much, so mm-hmm. I just take it, take take wins where I can. Yeah, I get you. That's like being on summer break for a teacher. We don't know when the day is, so but that's okay. Your body is still adjusting, so it's all good. You know, I got your back. Word. All right. So to our first-time listeners, listeners who have stumbled upon us, we are a podcast focused primarily on marriage and relationships, but we also infuse a little bit of family within our uh, discussions weekly. And so today's episode is one of those family-based episodes where we're going to be talking about something that is very close to us, something that we are still learning about, processing, trying to teach those who we are close to about this particular thing. And so we're going to be using a lot or as much as possible of common sense and fact-based information as we are giving out our ideas and things of that nature to our readers, our listeners. My, my apologies, everybody. So bear with us if we do say something that is perceived as not entirely accurate. We do apologize ahead of time and we will set that straight if that comes to fruition. So how do we want to begin? Let's start off. Let's just speak it into existence, right? Because it is true. We have a son He is eight. You all met him on episode four. And our son is on the autism spectrum. So our son, Drew, who is eight years old now, is a member of the autism community. He has autism spectrum disorder, which is becoming much more prevalent as the years go on. And so our episode today is focused on what exactly autism is, what exactly ASD is, and how we were able to get our son evaluated and diagnosed, and then how Dad JP is kind of doing with it and how I am doing with it. So this is that kind of episode. So we look forward to inciting information in our listeners. So let's get started here. That's good, that's good, JP. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So I'm going to get into what autism is. Autism or autism spectrum disorder refers to a broad range of conditions characterized by challenges with social skills, Mm -hmm. repetitive behaviors, speech and nonverbal communication, 
According to the Centers for D Disease Control, autism affects an estimated of one in 54 children in the United States of America today. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one main thing that we do want to do while we're talking about this serious topic is clear some misconceptions, especially because in a lot of communities, there's not a lot of information that is truthful and accurate going around. And so, of course, with us having a son directly affected, we are having to learn about the things that we know to be incorrect and to teach ourselves the accurate information. So one main thing I do want to emphasize with ASD particularly is that it has the word broad in the definition. And so one child with autism does not in any way look like another child with autism. Do you want to pull that out? It is a spectrum disorder, which means that a child can be on one end or the other or somewhere in between. So a lot of people hear autism and they think, you know, one thing they think, oh, he doesn't talk. Right. Mm -hmm. Or she doesn't. She she flips around and, and moves around a lot. But that's not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. so, okay, so I'm going to go through some more things of what it is exactly. Yeah, here are a few of the signs. I'm going to go for ones that are listed at any age. Mm -hmm. Starts off with loss of previous, previously acquired speech, babbling or social skills, mm -hmm. avoidance of co eye contact, persistent preference of solitude, difficulty understanding other people's feelings, mm -hmm. delayed language development, Persistent, repetitive, repetition of words or phrases, or echolalia. I say that right? Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> Resistance to minor changes in routine or surroundings. Mm -hmm. Restricted interests. Repetitive behaviors. And unusual and intense reactions to sounds, smells, tastes, textures, lights, and or, and or colors. Mm-hmm. Okay. And again, you know, those are just a, it's not a comprehensive list. There are also other minor little behaviors that you could see when in a child who has ASD. But those are some of the more common ones that I guess psychologists and doctors tend to find. So great defining that, JP. Mm -hmm. Of course, it always starts with knowledge, right? And we're always out to get the most updated information because we are exceptional parents with an exceptional little boy who we have to help guide into this world. So it always starts with that. We can go into here how we notice differences in our son. You want to kind of get into that first and then I'll kind of we'll kind of go back and forth a little bit. What were the differences? You go ahead and start off. Okay. I kind of chime in. I got you. Okay. So we'll start off with, see, how, how we got Drew to a an evaluation, because, of course, that's the process that we had to do. So the very first thing that we noticed, and JP and I were discussing this, like what was the actual very first thing we noticed that might have been slightly different with our son was that he was a headbanger. So um, at about three or four months, he was a little guy. Right. About three or four months. Mm -hmm. Drew would bang his head on his mattress repeatedly to go to sleep. And I brought it up with his pediatrician at the time. And she said that, oh, he may grow out of that. A lot of children headbang and it's not indicative of something wrong. And I said, OK, you know, all right. That's maybe just how he likes to go to sleep. So he would do it on his mattress. He would do it in his car seat in a car. 
he would just bang his little head to the side, just boom, 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 boom. And we were like, okay, that's just his brand of relaxation. And so from there, it was, I would probably say either, I'm going to say, JP, you can help me out with this, either the probably what we would now see as an obsession with very specific things to eat or drink or the babbling, right? Because he was babbling. He started, you know, doing everything on time. He walked on time. He spoke his first words on time. Mama, dada, he looked at you. You know, teeth came in. He walked when he was 13 months. You know, everything was on time. And yet when he got to talking, we noticed that his speech wasn't advancing. It was as if it paused, right? Mm -hmm. So he would speak in the baby babble that you would hear in a one-year-old. And so he was doing this at two, two and a half. And we were like, hmm, you know, maybe, maybe he is having a difficult time saying things. And of course, with his speech, having, giving him frustrations, he would start to act out. And so he would be upset. He would throw down toys, you know, er, you know, push things over because, of course, he wasn't being able to communicate with mommy and daddy in a way where, that we could understand. Yeah. And as first time parent, we really didn't know mm-hmm. time frame of speech development. So I never really thought of it as being a major problem. I thought it was mm-hmm. just kind of one of those those one of those things of development so right we 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 really didn't didn't know Mm -hmm. right right Uh, I agree yeah we just thought hey he'll learn this talk when it's his time to talk you know he'll clear up right we were all like always like he will clear and from there he was about two years and 10 months when we had Jai and so that brought a whole new host of what we would call behaviors that we hadn't seen. One of the major ones was his high reluctance to let go of the the bottle. I had to really fight him to get the bottle, get away with the bottle. He would drink out the sippy, but he wanted the bottle to go to sleep. And so that was the thing. He drank tons of milk. <laughs> I mean, tons of milk. This boy would go through, I don't know, a gallon in three days by himself. He's an X-Man. He is, He man, he's a mutant like crazy. Yeah, I mean, he was gulping milk. He loved milk. And, you know, very, very few things. And of course, again, being first time parents, we were like, okay, kids are picky eaters. So I wrote an entire blog post at the time on my kids are picky eater. And a lot of people were like, hey, mine too. All he wanted was chicken nuggets or pizza or chips, right? And it was like, baby, we gotta have something green. We gotta have some fruit. So he was very, very stringent. He would have a fit. He would lay out on the floor if I tried to give him anything else. So that was another thing. And then Jai came and Mr. Drew became even more verbally frustrated because still he was not completely clear in his speech. And I think around that time, that's when we decided to seek out a speech evaluation, right? Yeah, he he had Mm -hmm. certain phrases that he could get out, but Mm -hmm. you could tell that he was frustrated that he couldn't really express himself the way he wanted to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, of course, it became kicking down the, you know, the, the trash can and that kind of thing. And then mommy and daddy were busy with the new baby. So then it was, you know, a, a betrayal. He was like, hey, I can't say everything I want. And y'all out here with this 
this thing, they need to go back to the hospital. Yeah, he so, wasn't feeling her. He was not. For, it's been, it was six or seven weeks before he would even touch her. He wouldn't hold the baby. He wouldn't touch the baby. He was like, no, get away. And at that time, you know, looking back, that's when a lot of the repetition behavior started. His echolalia kicked in right around then. And these are all things that kind of just kind of fell on us. And we were, again, unknowledgeable as to what was, quote unquote, normal development and what may have been something else. So he had Drew would take all of his cars, like he had a ton of Hot Wheels, and line them up in a line on the couch and let them sit there and watch TV with him. At the time, of course, it was like, oh, that's cute. You know, his toys are watching TV. And when mommy or daddy would come over and go beep, beep, you know, play with the cars, he would say, no, no, and slap your hand away and be like, no, leave it right there. So we started noticing that he wouldn't go do what a what children no, do normally with those types of toys. Mm-hmm. He was just kind of just lining them up and letting them sit. And if one got out of line, he would get upset. And then, of course, his echolalia is really what prompted us to go seek out a speech therapy evaluation, probably right when he was about three and in preschool for the first time. Echolalia, for those of you who are unaware of the term, is when a child repeats what you say in terms of a question instead of answering the question. So Drew had the sweetest little baby voice. So we would say, hey, how are you? And he'll say, how are you? Right. Or he'll say, what did you do today? What did you do today? So he was like intentionally responding in the way that he thought you wanted him to respond, but he wasn't answering the question. And so that's something that we brought to a an evaluation for speech, because our main thing with him was speech. Nothing else rang bells, right? It was just at the time, our baby's babbling. And he was three by this point, right? And right around three, because mm-hmm. he was in preschool. And we were constantly in uh, communications with his teachers as to what he was doing in the classroom. And it was consistent. She would say the same thing. And so his teacher at the time, Miss Smith, would say, I think I remember her name being Miss Smith. Yeah, it was Miss Smith. Miss Smith, yes. She was saying that she would say, everyone come to the carpet. But Drew would not respond to everyone. And so we, he, she had to intentionally say, Drew, come over to the carpet. So he was doing some things in school that we needed to know here at home that, of course, we wouldn't see at home. So at that moment, that's when we said, OK, let's just do um, let's go to a speech therapist. So we dropped, you know, some cash <laughs> to go see a speech therapist and just get him evaluated. And the therapist said there was nothing wrong with our little boy. She said he is comprehending. He is looking at me when I speak. He is in his own way responding to what I'm saying. So her diagnosis was, I need more information. I'm not sure as to how to proceed. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine how we were just like, huh? That was not what we wanted at all. Like we were like, hey, our baby isn't talking help us help him talk because he can't say what he's trying to say. So I think that's at the point where we talked to his teacher. We talked to Miss Smith about it. And she said, have you guys thought about going through the school system? And here in Georgia, we have a program called Babies Can't Wait that is, to my understanding, very uh, effective for children. I think it's up to age three. Drew had just missed the cutoff for Babies Can't Wait. So we had to go through the Cobb County, our county's school district evaluation process so 
That's what we did. They did a full workup of him, psychological workup. We had to do some surveys on how he acts and everything. And we had to take him to the psychologist. And they did a whole few couple of hours of play with him, playing with him. Lots of writing about what exactly he was saying and doing. And from that process, it only took, we had to wait it's 60 days. Because, of course, I work for the school system. There was a 60-day a sort of process that we had to kind of wade through. But by the time we were on the list, they had him with a diagnostician, which is the person who actually diagnoses. They had the speech therapist. They had an occupational therapist. They had an adaptive therapist person. Several different people who sat and watched Drew. And after all was said and done, he was diagnosed pretty textbook autism spectrum disorder and so of course for us we were like okay what does that mean right Mm -hmm. (laughs) like what is that because of course you all you hear about it you hear of autism as a word but we're like we don't know exactly what does that mean is our baby in danger so that's when we had to begin our own learning process so Oh, yeah. Did I miss anything, JP? No. Okay. Okay. Because sometimes we do get friends with family, family members who asked us about symptoms, right? Because, of course, uh, as you learn about someone, perhaps in a family who has something and you get information regarding what they look like, then you start to, well, people tend, human nature, people tend to try to diagnose those that they know. So we're always getting questions about, well, how did you know that? And what did he do when you said, and what, and it's, and it's so, you know, this is just our process. Of course, again, children on the AS, um, children who have ASD and adults, honestly, who have ASD are on a very wide spectrum. For us, it was just, I don't know, I don't want to say luckily, but we were blessed with very good evaluations and people who know exactly what to look for so we were never it was never a question about is this a correct diagnosis because once they broke down everything that he was doing and why it it made so much sense and it was a relief to know that hey you guys you know that you didn't do anything bad this is this is what he's doing but it was also terrifying and I think it's still terrifying that he has to make his way through his own his own deficits right yeah so and much love to miss smith um, mm-hmm. his pre-k teacher for just caring because she yeah. could have just very well just let him slip through the cracks mm-hmm. but she gave us insight on on what we could potentially do to help him and yeah. She watched him every day and mm-hmm. gave us good feedback on that. So mm-hmm. just just an educator who who cares. Yeah, that that means the world to us. Mm-hmm. Hey, Miss Biff, we know you're out there, girl. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And because uh, a lot of our children, you know, they slip through. A lot of children every day. So so yeah. So that's how we got our baby diagnosed officially on the book, as they would say. So of course, the next thing logically became learn everything you can learn, right? And so that's essentially where we are. I know it's been, you know, four years now that he is actually still making his way through the process and learning himself mm-hmm. and learning how to advocate and talk and meet people. Because Drew's main thing, of course, was his not only just his his rocking. Of course, he's a rocker. Like a lot of children, they do those repetitive actions. So he rocks in the seat. And so that's his stemming. It's, it's sort of like his, his way of relieving his stress at the moment. Or when he's bored, he just rocks. Then a, a main thing, of course, was always his speech. 
So when they started him in a special needs preschool, so he went immediately, almost immediately after his diagnosis in January, it was maybe two weeks after because he got diagnosed in December. Mm-hmm. They We had to move him to the special needs preschool at our local elementary school. And they immediately started him on all the supports and accommodations in the classroom, speech therapy, heavy duty speech therapy, like launched in. And he did some adaptive work and occupational therapy. So they just got everything on the books for our baby, which is, you know, A plus, A plus, because we didn't know what he needed. So we were like, hey, that sounds good. Whatever y'all think. Right. So he started, we like to say, maybe within the first two or three months of his new preschool environment, we call it his brain kind of getting opened up. It's like they cracked open a walnut Uh and Drew would come home. Of course, he still had echolalia, but he would come home and say everything that everybody said. So, you know, if you lied around him, (laughs) he would pick that thing up and he would record it in his mind and bring it home and tell us everything. And she said, then he did this. And then I said, "Uh oh, and then he said, and we're just sitting there like, whoa, Mm -hmm. this kid got words. Right. Yeah. And so they, you know, they they cracked open my baby's brain and all these words are flying out. The speech was coming out. Eventually, the echolalia was, I think, maybe the first thing we saw that kind of went away because he was then learning how to answer questions. And his speech therapist at the time was like, well, Drew used to just sit there and not say anything. If he didn't know the answer, he would cry or, you know, have some type of adverse reaction. And the first thing they taught him was to learn how to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And now he does that. He, you know, if he genuinely does not know the answer, he'll say, I don't know. Hmm, I don't know. And that's, you know, exactly what we want him to do. He's learning those essential social skills that children on the a- on, with ASD tend to struggle with. So, so, yeah, so here we are, you know, fast forward several years, right? Kindergarten, first grade, and now he's in second grade and is a lot more outgoing with children. J- um, JP and I love to watch him, like, play at a playground. Because he'll go and he'll say, hey, that kid over there's name is whatever his name is. And we'll say, "Okay, does he know your name? And he'll go, nope. And then he'll go run back to make sure that that child knows his name. And I'll say, well, go talk to him. And we'll watch, you know, from a distance, respectively, respectively, (laughs) as uh, Drew is making, you know, social connections. So that's one thing that that kind of warms our heart because we know that where he came from. Our little boy was essentially nonverbal because he was babbling. He wasn't communicating. So it's a form of nonverbal. So, and then of course, little sister is social butterfly of the year. So of course he has all day, every day opportunities to practice his speech with her. And so they're always playing and talking now. Drew has imaginary play games he draws he makes up stories he has his phone and he records into his phone like he has his own youtube channel so he is really able to be a kid that no one would look at and say hey that kid has autism and that's another thing that we do want to caution our listeners about is it does you can't wear it you don't wear autism there are children who have Asperger's, which is a higher functioning form of autism. They have high le- academic levels of achievement. The only thing they usually have is, some, you know, some peer interaction weaknesses, 
maybe some repetitive behaviors, but otherwise they're a normal kid. So you can't look at a child and, and say, hey, that, that kid might have autism because it could be, you know, a number of any given thing. Mm-hmm. So so that's what we are with our Drew. Uh, my favorite thing, I know we always get this a lot, is if we tell people, they're like, oh, I didn't know. Yeah, you're not supposed to. Yeah, he doesn't wear it. So, yeah, he's he looks at you. He talks awkward. You know, he's not nonverbal. You know, he's he's a normal kid. You know, he's just like all the other children. And so so that's, you know, how how it goes there. Hmm. So that's our journey. Of course, it is never ending. (laughs) Every day is a is an adventure. Drew Bear could come home with anything. And right now it's the crushes at school. So he says he he saw his crush today. And I said, oh, boy. He says he has two. Uh, he has two. Yes, he does. And I said, well, I don't know how to feel yet. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like any other eight-year-old kid, right, so, learning the world. We're going to work that out. We are. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how it goes. So I want to kind of get into a little bit of, I'm going to let you talk, JP, about how you're personally processing him and his condition and his his disorder. Because we know that this is lifelong, right? Drew will be a functioning adult with autism. So what that may look like, truthfully, realistically, people are like, oh, they'll outgrow it. No, 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 not autism. He will function, but Drew will have some setbacks. He'll have some things that he will need our help with. You know, things, minor things, major things, you know, moving into his own apartment, getting his stuff organized, paying his bills every week, little things that we know we're going to always kind of have to help him with. So, you know, we're grasping every day what exactly is this gift that God has given our child that we have to share with him. So we're both on our own personal journeys with trying to figure out where I am and how I'm dealing with it and how he's dealing with it. I do want to kind of get to talk to JP about it because this is maybe this might be our first time actually opening up and beyond, you know, his new his first when he was first diagnosed. It's been a while since mm-hmm. we've actually sat and talked about it. So so how are you doing knowing where he's been over his his short journey so far? How are you doing with it? And what are some things, maybe some things you that you fear you may feel guilty mm-hmm. at, at the beginning. You You wonder what. What what maybe you you have done to to cause it? There was a period of of sadness because, like I said, just I don't I don't nobody wants to ever admit that there is something not normal about their child. Mm-hmm. So that took a period. It, it was it wasn't a long period because that's my boy. He's my he's an absolute superstar to me. So what I what I did was I tried to connect with him as as best as possible and mm-hmm. one one of the the things that we learned early on even when he was still in Mia's belly was he he responded to music mm-hmm. so music has kind of been been one of the the bridges the bridges that that has connected us even to this day mm-hmm. we we still do different things again he he's my he's he's my star so and I know that that he looks he looks to me for everything everything yeah so I kind of look at it from the aspect of I'm a superhero's superhero <laughs> mm-hmm. 
and I just I, I it helped me get it helped me with a, with a few things. He he's helped me. He's helped me probably more than than I than I've been able to help him. Mm-hmm. He gave me strength to want to go out and do other things because I know that I have my son looking looking at me. Mm-hmm. I've, I've I've put out a a, a music album. <laughs> <laughs> Featuring him, <laughs> <laughs> I've learned. I learned how to do audio stuff, which mm-hmm. is basically kind of the groundwork of this podcast. And I've, I've done this just because I know that he's looking at, me. and if he sees that I've had doubts or afraid to do something, then it would it would pass down to him. Mm-hmm. So again, he he's basically he's my he's my strength. We we gather strength off of each other. Kind of the gist of it, like I said, yeah. he he's a he's a true true blessing from okay. from God, and I'm going to do whatever I can mm-hmm. with every single breath I can to make sure that that he's cool and that he can he can do whatever whatever he wants to do. Not, nothing will stop him. And mm-hmm. That's, that's that's just my G. So yeah, man. I love I love him. I love him to death. Yeah, that's our guy. Something you said. Well, I know you said it twice, but that he is. He's watching us. He does that with both of us. Like he literally, he's like a little bodyguard. <laughs> and I don't know if it's more than other children, but this kid follows me around the house. He's, he's him and, and Jai. Jai to a point, but Jai she'll go in her room. Drew Bear will not. He will sit around me. And he's literally soaking in every single thing I say. I can be on the phone. And he's like, what? Wait, what'd you say? What? And I'm like, dude, I'm not even talking to you. So he literally is like a walk-in recorder. And everything that we do and say, energy that we put out, he soaks it in. And I think it's magical because I've never seen this in anyone. And like anyone in the world who I know, I've never seen anyone like record Constantly, He has us on a recorder and he's always responding now. And that's something that he didn't used to do. And so the way that JP and he share a love of music and a love of music production and, and you know, creation is the way J- uh, Drew and I enjoy talking. So we're big communicators. I um, probably talk to him more than Jai, but that's because Jai is a lot more. She goes to her room and kind of plays in her room in solitude for a little while. So Antisocial. Yeah, a <laughs> little baby. Um, but Drew wants to talk to me all day. So when we're riding to school, you know, we have full-on conversations about, you know, what the clouds look like or what's the weather going to be like today and why is it hot and what does hot feel like and what do we wear when it's hot. So it's a lot of talking. And some days I'm like, Drew, 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 because it becomes he's in, 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 insistent and he wants to know and he has to know. And if he has an idea, he will literally worry you to death about getting that idea out in the world. Even if you're on the phone, if we're like right now, we're potting. So he knows not to come and ask questions. But as soon as this is done, he's coming down and he's going to tell me something that he knows. He's um, you know, a neurodiverse kid. So they take in information and Drew particularly has to tell you what he knows. He gets super upset if you don't listen to what he has to say. And his teachers, they say the same thing. They say they allow Drew to talk and say exactly what it is that he's observing so that he'll feel as if he is a part of the class. And I love that because if not, he gets upset and he'll shut it down. 
And and so we don't want him to do that. We don't want him to not be able to present his information. The way I processed it is probably very similar to JP. A lot of guilt. I probably have had more guilt because I am his mother and I carried him. And so I, I go through, I went through a period where it was, I know at a certain amount of time in my pregnancy, I had high blood pressure and my brain is like, okay, is that the moment where it could have signaled something in genetically and it could have developed into this? And of course, it clashes with my knowledge that autism does not have a common cause. So doctors right now don't know exactly, you know, the one thing that causes autism because there isn't no one thing. Like it's a, it's a series of things that can cause it. So it's developmental. So something in his development while he was with me and sharing, you know, my body, I feel as if, you know, there's something that I could have done. Maybe I could have drunk more water. Maybe I should have exercised. Like I went through that. And, and so like JP said, it was a little while. It, it, was, it, was, it was probably a long while. I just kind of hid it because I said, well, what's the point of thinking about what I should have, could have, would have? Why not just put all that energy into what I can do now as his mother while we know what's going on? So that's kind of the way I, I dealt with it. And, and, you know, part of the reason why I am the teacher I am is because of him. And so I specifically focus in on, you know, students with disabilities. And so with Drew Bear, I had to learn exactly what he needed from me as his mother and what JP needs um, as his father and what uh, Drew needs from his father. And so that inspired me to say, hey, you know, there are children out here who don't have that, who don't have two parents who are actually learning about them and, you know, giving them the supports at home. You know, they have teachers potentially at school, but there has to be more prongs to this fork. Like, I can't just have one prong fork. That's, that's a knife. I can't just have a knife. I need a fork. So I said, you know what? I, I am looking into, and for a while I fought it, but, you know, destiny, right? And I said, I'm, I'm going to start looking into, you know, teaching children specifically who have disabilities. And so I want to teach them how to advocate for themselves the way we're teaching Drew. And so for him, you know, being who he is, he has given me an, an, an empowered sense of self so much that I changed careers. And now it's like, well, I should have been doing this. I could have been 15, 16 years in um, doing this if it was time. And of course, it wasn't time at the moment because we hadn't had him yet. And so um, it's been a lot of a lot of research, flipping through websites, trying to decide, do I trust this? Do I trust this? Don't trust this organization. They don't know what they're talking about. Don't wear the puzzle pieces. Do wear the puzzle pieces. What, what does blue mean? And when's the blue month? And it's, it's a lot. It's an entire huge community out there of people who are either giving false information and trying to mislead you or giving true information, sharing their children's stories, giving people you know, empowerment and, and saying, hey, it's okay, you're not by yourself. And that's been probably a mainstay support within you know, my life and, and within JP's because we do have people who, I know personally people who I can say, hey, let me go talk to her because she has a, a son you know, with a disability. And so I'll be able to you know, relate to people who are going through the same things we may go through. Because, you know, children with disabilities have tough days, right? 
just like parents do. We have days. Drew Bear and I will will we just clash. We'll just have a day when we're clashing. And he's in the backseat crying because he'll say I made him feel bad. And of course, as a mother, I want to say, oh, you know, oh, my God, my baby, I made him sad. But, on, you know, on the other side, I'm like, hey, I got to build a little tough love because he is a, a little boy. So I, I can't baby him all the time. So it's constantly, you know, am I doing the right thing? Is this going to be good for him? Is this babying him? Is this being too tough? It's, it's always a balancing act. And that's with any child, I think. So, so we're learning how to live and love and laugh. Ooh, that's a good one. Live, love, and laugh. That's literally what it is. And, and you know, our fear, biggest fear, number one fear on the board. If this was Family Feud, boom, at the top. Little black boy with a disability, little black boy with autism, and the way the world is, right? Because, of course, we know that our son is going to be a very tall, potentially 15, 14, 15-year-old 15 kid. He's going to look 18, 19, and he's going to wear hoodies and headphones and cell phones just like the rest of the kids and could be seen as a threat just because he is a cinnamon-colored little boy. And so, of course, We'll have to eventually have the talk with him about law enforcement and, and trust and good guys versus bad guys and that kind of thing so that he can understand, hey, when someone asks me to say something, this is what I, this is how I should react because, you know, JP and I are, are very uh, aware that our child could have a bad reaction to something someone says and it could, you know, it could go awry. And that's not something that we're prepared ever to deal with. So, so that's probably one of our shared fears. So there you go. What else? Is there anything else that we fear with Drew Bear? What you thinking? Because we don't fear him, you know, growing up being functional. Because right now he's he's a functional child. Like he's he's a child. And he's not odd. You know, some people think like, well, is he kind of weird? Not at all. And I'm always happy to answer questions when people feel as if they may be like overstepping. You know, is he weird is a question I will answer. And I'll say, well, no, not at all. He's not weird. No, he talks and walks and, you know, eats chicken nuggets just like every other kid. So I would say no at this time. Um, mm -hmm. I think that we are doing as best we can mm -hmm. give, given the situation. And like I said, we're, we're not being closed minded, not turning our backs on on the issue and mm -hmm. trying to address it um, full on. Mm -hmm. And again, the biggest thing is to make sure that, that Drew, um, his, his center is is the love the love that we have. So mm -hmm. um, again, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna do whatever it is to take whatever it takes to make my son as successful as possible. Mm -hmm. um, he could if he if he decides he wants to be president, my son's gonna be the damn president. That's all right. Simple. Yeah. And, and what we'll also do as he gets older is we're educating him and we're educating him regarding how to respond to people when they ask him these kind of questions, like how to respond to someone when they ask you, well, what exactly do you have? Like, are you different? We're going to teach him answers to that. And his little sister, she will be one of his advocates as well, because Jaima, she's going to be she's going to be a tough little girl. She's not going to play all of that. She's going to be like, no, leave my brother alone. 
And that's what we feel as if we should do as his parents. And so, you know, and, can, and just build a community around him because I do want him to have friends and play dates. And he has that now. You know, he goes on play dates and, you know, has virtual play dates and that kind of thing. So we do want him to have a childhood that he doesn't have to get over. Right. We always talk about the, you know, a childhood that you have to kind of work your way through. He's, he's having a great, what we like to think is a great childhood. So we're going to continue to provide that for him. We want to encourage our listeners who, who may be resistant or reluctant is a great word. You're noticing some things. Um, you're thinking about some things. You, the spidey sense is tingling. I would say just be safe and sorry. Just get that baby evaluated. And it, it doesn't take a lot. I know that all the, probably all the major school systems have some type of process that you could, that you could seek out. So that's important. Even me as a teacher, coming from a teacher point of view, I teach middle schoolers, but better safe than sorry. It could be nothing. It could be something. So we want to encourage and, and say you're, you're not by yourself. It's, it's going to be OK. If you have any concerns, get your child screened and contact your healthcare provider. The MCHAT, which is Modified Checklist for Autism and Toddlers, can help you determine if a professional should evaluate your child. This is a simple online autism screen that can be found on autismspeaks.org. It only takes a few minutes. If the answers suggest that your child has a high probability for autism, please consult with your child's doctor. Yep. And this is in no way uh, we're not uh, Autism Speaks spokespersons. We're just giving us a resource for people to go to. We can be, though. <laughs> we're, giving, we're giving information, y'all. So we, we have friends who have asked us about, you know, their children and, and different symptoms. And so we're just here to just try to um, give voice, give life to something that you may be feeling. And, and again... Um, you're not by yourself, right? We are black parents of a little black boy who has autism, and that's the real. And so we're going to always be those parents with that child. And we're just here to make make it through life as much as possible, do God's work with our little baby that he gave us, and you know, try to get our little boy to stand on top of the world because that's where he belongs so yeah, yeah. it's it's not a, it's not about you it's about the child yes so it is we have, we we have to get past that all of us do mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's a lot of a lot of um sadness in that that people feel embarrassed it's not embarrassment it should never be so so yeah think we've uh, hopefully have given everyone some suggestions ideas this is our story all right, and you guys are going to learn a lot more about JP and Mia here on the Paid in Full podcast as we move forward. We are JP is getting really good at this sound thing, so we sound and sounding better, and we're doing a lot more things. We do want to give, do some more giveaways, so we'll be announcing some of those soon. As the seasons change, we'll be working on some new sort of hip, unique episodes. So uh, we are always very uh, open to hearing from our listeners. We have a Twitter and an Instagram now, y'all. So we have moved up in the world. Both are paid in full pod. The Twitter handle, of course, paid in full pod. Instagram is paid in full pod. P-A-D-E-N-F-U-L-L-P-O-D. So go and check us out. We'll be putting, you know, fun content up as well as links to all of the episodes and clips as we go forward as well as our gmail address of course paid in full pod at gmail.com 
is the best way, especially to give us feedback, give us information. If you're out there and um, with a child with a disability, talk to us, not just autism, but we love to hear from our listeners about what you may be thinking and going through. Because sometimes you feel alone and sometimes it's, it's hard. You have hard days. And so we do want to hear from our listeners who may be having a hard day with their baby who just need a, a, a virtual hug. So we are here available, readily available as much as possible for doing just that. So thank you all for listening to our new episode. We will hear from you all soon and we'll see you guys in another week. We have some type of quote. We got a quote. I don't have a quote. I got more of a statement. O.J. Simpson, sit your ass down somewhere. What's he doing now? He said that he does. He's not. He doesn't want to go to L.A. because he may run into the killer. Oh my God! Somebody get him. Somebody get their <laughs> uncle. Really? Really? So. Wow. Okay. <laughs> thank, thank you, JP, for that. Uh, oh my God, man. I'm, I'm sorry. O- O.J. did it. Um. Okay. Good night. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Peace. Fear. Fear's a powerful thing. I mean, it's got a lot of firepower. If you can figure out a way to wrestle that fear, to push you from behind rather than stand in front of you, that's very powerful. I always felt that I had to work harder than the next guy just to do as well as the next guy. And to do better than the next guy, I had to just kill. And, uh, you know, to a certain extent, that's still with me in how I work. You know, I just go in, go in, go in.